After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal! Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! February is upon us. We're nearly at the one quarter mark of the NHL season. That sounds a little funny to say, but that is kind of where we are depending on the team and depending on the number of games that have or have not been postponed. But the Scouting the Rest podcast rolls on. And Josh, we had a plethora of unique situations in this past week, and a number of them involved, well, here's the football reference, illegal touching. <laughs> yeah, and that's a, that's a big one. It's definitely been one of those weeks when you, know, you crack the rule book out, you flip through and figure out, what you need to remind people, especially broadcasters, about with some of these situations. Yes, the Scouting the Rest podcast is powered by Team Stripes. They are your source for officiating equipment, apparel, training tools, whatever it is you need. Go to their online store, goteamstripes.com, goteamstripes.com. We look forward to your comments, your thoughts, your feedback, some good stuff on social media. On Twitter, you get Josh at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and on Instagram. And you'll get me, Todd, on Twitter and Instagram at Todd Lewis Sports. Of course, we welcome your emails as well. And we did have one pointing out a bit of a crazy line change in a Florida Panthers-Predators game. HeyRef at ScoutingTheRefs.com is the email. HeyRef at ScoutingTheRefs.com. Okay, we have been talking about COVID for about the last year. And the NHL has been extremely vigilant in trying to make things as safe as possible for players, for coaches, for staff. And Josh, they are changing the COVID protocols a little bit. The glass behind the players' benches has been removed. So, two things. We will not see those giant on-the-glass advertisements behind the benches anymore. And it's going to make the official's job a little bit more difficult in terms of calling a puck-over-glass penalty because there is no more glass. That, to me, Todd, is the craziest thing. That now <laughs> you can get a puck-over-glass penalty without actually shooting a puck over the glass. So, <laughs> so somehow we will have one of those when a player is penalized for a puck-over-glass without going over the glass. And it does make it interesting because for the linesman, you've got to make that judgment call, right? You've got a point of reference. You can tell if the puck bounces off the glass at the back of the bench or if it clears it. We've got no fans there, at least in most arenas. And... Now you've got no glass back there. So you're making that judgment call from possibly across the ice or on an off angle to say, what was the height of the puck at the point that it crossed this horizontal plane without any reference or landmark that you can use? Oh, why do we make this a judgment call? But it's, <laughs> it, seems, uh, it seems like at one of those where I think you're going to just have to err on the side of caution and, and only call the obvious ones because that is such a tough play and it's not reviewable so it's really up to that real-time call on the ice of do i think this cleared the bench glass area and and do i feel confident enough to call a penalty for that i think you're right it's going to absolutely be a no-brainer if the puck goes in that direction i think it's almost going to have to clear the tarpaulin advertising <laughs> that is behind the yes. bench before it's going to be called a penalty right now that's a great point. And maybe, maybe that's the rule of thumb. You, you got to look at where it lands, but 
holy cow, it's it's just another facet of, of things that get added onto the official's plate of things that you have to really determine on the fly and, and make those judgment calls of where the puck was at this point. So a, a tricky situation, not not one that's unmanageable, but definitely adds a little complexity or potential for controversy. Uh, well, of course, but it, it does illustrate, and we do laugh and joke about things like this, but it does illustrate how challenging the job of those on-ice officials can be at some points when you're having to make split-second judgments and they'll they'll do their absolute best and, and good for them for working as hard and being as, as effective as they are out on the ice. Okay, let's get into a couple of game situations from the last week or so. And I wanted to, to touch on something from late last week. It was the Calgary Flames and Montreal Canadiens game. And Dylan Dubé of the Calgary Flames comes swooping around the back of the net and he hammers Kasperi Kotkaniemi and sends him flying. Now, there was no penalty assessed on the play. And I understand that. Because the referee on the play, I'm not sure if it was Kendrick Nicholson or Kevin Pollack, but I believe those were the two referees. The referee was standing behind Kotkaniemi, so he could not see the point of impact. And this is not a criticism. This is just the way it worked out in terms of the circumstances of this game. He happened to be on that side of the ice. Referees will move back and forth, but in this particular instance, he's behind the player being hit. Right, and you want to make sure you're positioned well for where the play is developing and what's going on. And the puck was moving around, away from the official. He's moving up the ice to try to keep an eye on the puck. And just as that hit's delivered, you've got a Flames player partially blocking the official's view at that moment. So it, it comes down to alignment for making those real-time calls. And you're doing the best to get in the best position to make the best available call. Obviously, you can't see everything all the time. And that did, to me from the angles available, look like a pretty dangerous hit. And, and one that uh, absolutely to me is a call. I, I know that it was a high hit. It looked very dangerous. When it's happening on the ice, there are definitely times when, when you're in a, just a tough spot to make that call. I was more disappointed in the fact that, that nothing came after the fact from player safety on that time. That's the part that troubles me as well. So unless we, in the next day or two, get some sort of explanation video the way we did with the Tyler Myers non-suspension hit, then I'm I'm puzzled as to why there was no further discipline. Okay, Dubé kept his hands down in front of him, and I get that. They were not raised up above his shoulders, but when you look at the hit on Kotkaniemi, the head does snap back, and no, I do not accept that the Montreal forward had his head down too far or was crouching and put himself in a vulnerable position because Dubé when he makes the hit is up on the toes of his skates and Dubé is three inches shorter than Kotkaniemi so he's got to be going up to to inflict that hit yeah I agree and you know you can see that lift and of course a certain amount of of lift off your skates is acceptable when you're making that body contact it does tend to pick you up off the ice so it's not mm -hmm. necessarily leaving your skates when you're delivering a hit because of what happens in the collision. From the NHL's determination, it was that the head contact was unavoidable on the hit. So the rule justification is the same thing that we saw on the hit from Tyler Myers, which we did get a player safety explanation on, which would lead me to believe that if they're claiming that the head contact was unavoidable, then they're looking at this where it could be that the it could be that the player being checked put himself in a vulnerable position vulnerable position or that his head was down or simply that the size difference of the players made it such that it was impossible to deliver a legal check without some incidental head contact. 
I don't know, Todd. I, I agree with you. I, th- I thought the head contact was a bit more than incidental on this hit, mm-hmm. and, and I, I don't know that I saw anything where he was contributing. He was crouched down a little bit, but I still think that's one of those plays where you need to avoid finishing that check and, and pull up on it. Body contact was inevitable, but it didn't have to be delivered the way it was. I, I I think we're gonna have to agree to disagree with the league on this one because you and I see it pretty much the <laughs> pretty much the same way. All right, uh, a couple of additional items. Um, it seemed like we pretty much covered a lot of this stuff in previous episodes for this season, but maybe a little more back from summer holiday review is necessary. One, you can't play without a helmet, and two, you can't play with a broken stick either. No, no, you you can't and. I expect NHL players to know this a little bit, but we do have some recent rule changes that some players may not have been quite as familiar with. Take, for example, uh, during the Penguins-Rangers game, we had Marino playing without a helmet, and he was fine. He lost his helmet. It was actually uh, knocked off his head or or ripped off, depending on which team you root for, in uh, (laughs) a collision there. But either way, he was left helmetless, and he started to head off the ice to the bench. And if you listen back, you can hear the official telling him to get off the ice. All was well. Right. His options at that point are either leave or pick up your helmet and rejoin the play. On his way off, he couldn't help himself but trying to make a play on the puck, and the official immediately blew the whistle. I mean, at that point, you're watching the guy go off the ice to make sure he, he heads directly to the bench. He does not pass go or collect $200. Right. When you don't, the whistle's getting blown, and, and he went to the box. So maybe a little reminder there about what happens when you lose your helmet. And I know for, for a lot of these guys, they could get away with it in the past. A few years ago, that was changed, and it's it's something that the officials are watching for, both from a, a safety standpoint as well as enforcing the rules on the books. Okay, so a couple of additional things as well. One, you can't throw the puck. No. You can't close <laughs> your hand on the puck, and you can't play the puck with your hand on a face-off. So in general, I think the rule is don't touch that. You know, there's, there's times that you can and you can get away with it. We talked last week about a puck going in off a glove, which could be a legal goal. Obviously, batting it in changes things a little bit. But you, you certainly can't be grabbing the puck out of midair and, and throwing it forward. So as uh, the Ottawa Senators found out, if you grab it and throw it, you're, you're handling the puck. That's against the rule book. You absolutely can't do that. There's certainly way you get. You can bat the puck out of the air. You can knock it down. And this is different than a hand pass. This is really, as it was called, handling the puck. And Rule 67.2 says you can catch the puck out of the air, but you have to place it or knock it down to the ice. You get a minor penalty for closing your hand on the puck if you catch it and skate with it, if you cover it to prevent an opponent from playing it, if you pick it up, or you have the option of of throwing it down the ice, which you're you're not allowed to do. And we've had situations where players have done it. We've had situations where goaltenders have thrown the puck forward, which is also a minor penalty. So one of those nuances that I would hope players would be informed about just to know the difference of, knocking the puck down or catching it and dropping it versus advancing the puck or gaining an advantage by throwing it. So yeah, that's not allowed. The same rule covers face-offs. As you mentioned, we've seen face-off violations come up a couple times this year. You've got to use your stick for the draw. If you're down on the ice, if you reach down with your glove and bat it, that's a minor penalty as well. And, and it's a recent change from a few years back, but one that's been in the league enough and seen enough called that I would hope players would be aware of that one. But you know, I guess when you're in the heat of battle and you're, you're trying to get the puck back to your teammates, you do what you used to do all the way up as you were coming into the NHL or what you've done even a few years back, and you, you dog paddle it back to your teammate, and that's a no-go. So another unusual one that I know has thrown some fans and some broadcasters for a loop as well. So you really have to watch. You know, grabbing the puck and batting it down, and the officials are usually communicating with these guys to tell them. 
but when you catch it and you skate with it, I mean, it, it may as well be a, a basketball traveling call at that point because you really can't move the puck while you're holding it. Handle with care. The Scouting the Refs podcast is powered by Team Stripes. Your choice for officiating equipment, apparel, and more. GoTeamStripes.com is the website. He's Josh. I'm Todd. We're talking NHL rules. And, well, there's one that was missed in terms of a call on Nick Bugstad of the Minnesota Wild. He caught the attention of player safety because of a cross-check on Ryan Graves of the Colorado Avalanche. No penalty was called, and I, I think it's an unfortunate set of circumstances that the officials seemed to be circling behind the net as the offense occurred. However, the cameras caught it, and Nick Bukestad caught a $5,000 fine, and rightfully so. In fact, I probably would have given him at least a one-game suspension for that. Yeah, this was another one of those situations, Todd, where I did feel that the, the referee adjusting his positioning and moving around the net, plus the convergence of players from both teams coming into that spot at the top of the crease made it difficult to pick up the cross-check. It's, it's unfortunate that it was missed. It was no call. Again, this is where player safety can step in. They have the benefit of replay. They can take the time to look at the play. And to me, uh, a cross-check up high, whether it made contact with the face or neck or whether it was just directed in that area, is not a hockey play. It's not something we want to see in the game. And to me, a one-game suspension sends a much stronger message. And a one-game suspension consistently, when we see this, would be ideal rather than just a fine to really drive home that, look, we see people get away with cross-checks all the time on the ice. And maybe you shouldn't be getting away with as many as you are. And maybe we'll allow some leeway to the arms in the back. But chest, shoulders high, I think we want those out of the game. I don't think there's anybody who would, would argue that. So... A one-game suspension is probably the quickest way to drive that home, especially if you've got a situation where player safety can help step in and just reinforce that. I agree. Good reminders, and I don't think there's a, an issue with strict punishment for an offense of this type. Okay, here's a good one. And if you're watching, it happens really quickly, and it was really difficult to pick up on, but I absolutely think it was the right call. It was the Nashville Predators and Florida Panthers playing this past week. It was a wild game to begin with. The, the Panthers were, were leading by a couple of goals into the third period. The Preds came back and tied it up. They went into overtime. Both teams get a point, of course. So the Nashville Predators are attempting to make a line change just shortly after a face-off. The play is in the neutral zone. The puck gets poked away from the Panthers head and heads toward the Predators bench. And the two Preds that are in the vicinity of the puck will say both leap up onto the boards to get away from it like it's radioactive. The puck then turns over as the line change is completed. Philip Forsberg is returning to the ice. He picks up the puck. He scoops it in and scores on Sergei Bobrovsky. Preds win in OT. Panthers don't like it, but I watched this back a number of times and I looked at it very closely from all of the different angles neither of the Predators players touched the puck. Seems like everything happened as it should here. This was the right call or the right non-call, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. It was a close one for sure, but that's that's one of those situations that we've hit on before with the, the too many men call. You're not playing the puck. You're not making a play on the puck. You're not even making a interacting with an opposing player to affect the play in any way. So these guys did their best to get out of the way. They were successful in doing so. They didn't affect the play. So you're right. It's, it's a correct non-call. Now, had one of the guys played the puck, kicked the puck, uh, done anything to engage an opponent, we're looking at a different situation. But they were smart. They got off the ice. They got out of the way. And 
not whistling the play down was the right call on the play, as, as unfortunate as it may have been there. Oh, yeah, it was a real heartbreaker for the, <laughs> the Florida Panthers. I mean, they were ahead for the whole game. They got tied, got tied up later on, and then they wound up losing in overtime. So the, the other question, and maybe this will help clarify this for fans, neither player played the puck with their stick or, or attempted to maneuver the puck. What if the puck had struck one of the players? Now, it was poked by uh, one of the Panthers, I believe, and if it had struck one of the Predators, would that have counted as a too many men on the ice? So if it strikes them accidentally, it's no whistle, it's no penalty, they don't even stop the play. Under Rule 74-1, in the course of a substitution, if a player entering the play or a player retiring is struck by the puck accidentally, the play will not be stopped and no penalty will be called. So in that case, they simply play on. And it's really up to the linesmen to watch closely and you've got, you've got both of them keeping their attention on the benches during the changes like this just to see, are these guys engaging with the puck? Are they hit with the puck accidentally? But typically, if they're headed off and the puck bounces off of them by no fault of their own, we play on. So it's almost like the referees are in play if they happen to get struck by the puck. Would that be a fair comparison? Yeah, I'd say so. I, I think it does get tricky with the intent part of it, of making yeah. sure these guys are going off the ice and they're not you know, slowly going off the ice or trying to hold off from picking their skates up so that they're an obstruction along the boards, or even when it comes to an opposing player, that they're not inadvertently picking or blocking a player from going somewhere. So you're really trying to look at all of that at the same time and judging where the puck hits, if anywhere, when you're deciding to make or not make the call. Okay, got it. I think the <laughs> there is one other game I want to ask about. And I, I was texting you during this one because it struck me as this was a bit odd. And I was watching the, the Boston Bruins broadcast of it with uh, Jack Edwards and Andy Brickley. So it was the Boston and Washington Capitals game. The Bees are down three nothing. It was it was all going against them. Zdeno Chara had scored against the his former team and everything. But there was a weird play just past the midway point in the second period. The pass goes from around the Bruins' blue line area, headed up to, I believe, Brad Marchand, who was crossing the Capitals' blue line. Now, the play was offside, or it sure looked like the play was offside. The linesman appeared to be making a signal for icing from the, the puck being shot on the defensive side of the red line. The puck wound up, as a shot on goal and Caps goaltender Vitek Vanacek covered it up. Now, it appears to me, and you can help me with this, it appears that the play was offside and maybe that offside was missed. The, the Bruins broadcast, of course, were going absolutely bonkers and figured they were supposed to go to commercial and couldn't understand why there was a face-off to the left of Vanacek in the Caps end. The Bruins grabbed the puck and scored right after the face-off. It became a 3-1 game. Boston went on to win. Now, conspiracy theorists stand down. I don't believe for a second that this was the reason that the Bruins came back and win. It just struck me as this was a very weird play and a lot of different circumstances came into play with overlapping rules on this one. Yeah, that was an interesting play for sure, especially as you have one line's been looking like he's about to signal an icing. You have a potential offside and then you have the goaltender covering up the puck. So it, it looked like an interesting moment, the part that we didn't get, Todd, that we don't have insight on, was what was the conversation like on the ice and what actually yes. took place between the officials. Did they huddle up and, and, and share, because the camera crews didn't capture this part as they were getting ready to go to break, 
Did they share that, hey, I had an icing on the play. Oh, I, you know, I thought he may have been offside. But the puck was shot in by the Bruins. It was deflected by a Capitals player and covered by the Caps goaltender. The outcome of the Caps goaltender covering the puck up there is that you're going to have a face-off to his immediate right or left, which is what happened on the play. So it's different from when we see an erroneously called icing when the linesman, if in this case the puck missed the net, and an icing was called, and they said, oh, no, wait, it was tipped by the Caps player. That's no icing. Then they go back to center ice. But in this case, it looked like they reset to get the call correct in that it was deflected in by the Capitals player. It was covered by the Capitals goaltender. So defensive zone faceoff. It's something we see lots of times during the game. We just appear to have a little bit of a miscommunication there in, in what the play was actually going to be. So uh, my hope is that while we didn't see it, the, the on-ice officials really hashed this out on the ice to get the call right on the play. So you're saying that broadcasters are easily confused. I am. Yes. <laughs> hey, you know what? I don't expect every broadcaster to be an expert on the rule book. And there are a lot of things at play here and a lot of things on their plate. So, yeah, it's, it's tough to keep up on it. And, and you're trying to read the signal and you're watching the game from your perch. And there's a lot going on. I, I do think some good summer reading, though, would be the rule book. Recommended reading for any broadcasters looking to kill some downtime in, in travel or during the offseason. Yes, absolutely correct. That would be a good one. Oh, one more quick one. Let's uh, squeeze this one in. And uh, Alexander Kerfoot was a bit flustered last night because of a hit that occurred in the Toronto Maple Leafs and Vancouver Canucks game. Yeah. Oh, that was that was a scary one, too. So yeah. that was uh, one that I was looking carefully at with with some consideration there on what was going to come out of that. You know, was this going to be a major penalty? Was this going to be a, a possible suspension? Because it looked like a, a, a rather dangerous hit. And You've got Kerfoot having issues already with officials for some slashes that he was called for. I know he, he voiced some complaints to referee Chris Schlenker earlier in the week. And, uh, and then you have a hit like that last night, which uh, I know some fans were definitely up in arms on. And that's what's got Alex Kerfoot a little bit frustrated, that he doesn't understand why there was no call. But he could not see what was going on behind him. And I, I know he's upset, but if your stick is landing on an opponent's hands, that is a slashing penalty, one hand or two. Absolutely. And we've seen it called that way. And much to fans and some players' frustrations that those those sticks up on the hands are a call. It's not necessarily requiring the level of force it used to in the past. Now it's it's typically any stick that's going up there. We're getting a call for that. And and players should expect it. We even saw it late in the in the Flyers game the other night where we had a late call for a slash and uh, the Flyers end up losing the game in overtime. Tough spot, but that's the same call we've seen all season long. So we're only at the quarter mark of the season, but we are in mid-season form with fan outrage. I think things are going really well, don't you? <laughs> hey, you know what? If, if the fans can't be outraged in the stands, they've got to be outraged somewhere. There we <laughs> and go. And they've got social media to voice that on, I guess. <laughs> Continue to enjoy the outlet. We'll be back again with another edition of the Scouting the Rest podcast, and I suspect a lot more cool circumstances like this next week. The Scouting the Rest podcast is powered by Team Stripes, your source for officiating equipment, training tools, apparel, and more. Check it out. GoTeamStripes.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Scouting the Refs podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Scouting the Refs, Instagram at Scouting the Refs, and visit ScoutingTheRefs.com. Scouting the Refs.